0: Business Women Rock, Episode 12. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible businesswomen. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the twelfth episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. Are you ready to take your social media presence to the next level? Then go see the team at Kim Media Strategies, who will help you create and implement a really effective social media campaign. Go to Kim Media Strategies with one M, KimMediaStrategies.com com forward slash BWR. I'm so excited you're here today to hear this interview. My guest today is Linda Galindo, who has founded Galindo Consulting. Her specialty is within accountability, and she really goes around the country and teaches accountability to leaders, uh, to CEOs of companies, and she's built a great consulting practice over the past 20 years, and I'm really excited to share this story with you because I think that there are so many business owners out there who are either consultants themselves or perhaps you're in a job and think that you would be great at being able to consult in a particular industry, in a particular niche. And Linda is such a great example of how to build a consulting practice. Her revenues last year in 2013 were half a million, and she's projected to be at one million in revenues for a consulting practice, for a one-woman consulting practice. She's the author of three books, The 85% Solution, How Personal Accountability Guarantees Success, No Nonsense, No Excuse, Way to Grow, Cultivating the Weeds, Daisies, and Orchids in Your Organization, And where winners live, sell more, earn more, achieve more through personal accountability. She's a coach, she's a speaker, she's an author, she's incredible. So I'm really excited for you to hear the story of how she even got started, how she's built this consulting practice, how she's niched out to be a particular expert in this field, and uh, what fun she's had along the way and the lessons she's learned along the way as well. So whether you're running, whether you're working on your computer right now, or whether you're at home having a glass of wine, turn up the volume, the interview starts now. All right, Linda, thank you so much for being on the show here with us today.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: I'm so excited to speak with you today and have a great conversation because there are so many women out there who currently have a consulting practice or they're in a profession where they really believe that they could be very successful consulting in any particular arena. And you have such an incredible and long, for 20 years, you've had a consulting practice and have continued to build one. So I'm so excited to get into your story so that our listeners can really hear how that has been done on such a successful level. So let's dig right in. Can you tell us what life looked like before you started your consulting practice?
1: Well, just before I started my consulting practice, I was divorcing and broke. I had been working in a consulting firm with a partner, and it was time for me to move on. And it just all happened at the same time where I wanted to be out on my own, doing what I thought I could do. And at the same time, my personal relationship was falling apart, my marriage, and I had two young children, and I wasn't really sure how I was going to finance going out on my own, but I wanted to do it so badly and I was so clear that I just jumped off and figured that I would figure it out as I went.
0: Now, what what was that consulting practice that you were a part of and how did you know how to consult or what niche that you would fit into? Well, the niche I was in
1: when I went out on my own was um, a diversity consulting firm where Way back, 1985 to the year 2000, the Hudson Institute said that women, minorities, and immigrants were going to be the majority of the workforce. And there was all these organizations that needed diversity training in order to get federal contracts. And so the partner that I teamed up with after I got out of my very first profession, which was radio news, and I had embarked on this um, training for managing and valuing differences in the workplace. And so it was very needed, and I went into it. But in that practice, I started to realize that women and minorities did not understand personal accountability, that the company could only do so much, but 100% of it was ultimately up to them. So accountability got into my line of sight, and more so than it had ever been, and in my own life the lack of it was really showing its head. And so I started to really get interested in how to getting out of a victim mindset to being someone who is really highly personally accountable and what that changes if you adopt that mindset.
0: So I'm imagining that you were really practicing this on yourself as you were sort of getting your uh, consulting practice ready to be able to focus on that particular topic.
1: Yes. In the very first chapter of the book, the 85% Solution is called Queen of Victims, and that's where it all started. It was like, I'm always here when this stuff happens, so I must have something to do with it, and I'm getting pretty tired of being a victim.
0: I love that. Now what was your business model when you first started? How were you set up to actually bring in revenue, and uh, what, how were you set up to actually run as a company?
1: I have to tell you, it was a ready, fire, aim process. It was one of those things (laughs) where I am so sure this is going to work. I am just, I'm going to get a desk, and I'm going to have a, I got into an office with a a shared receptionist, one of those office suite places. I brought my assistant over from the last place I was. She came with me, and so we had desks and chairs and phones, so obviously, you know, people are going to come. And it didn't work out quite that way. So it was ready, fire, aim, and debt.
0: Talk a little bit about that. Like you spent, did you go into credit card debt? Were you getting business loans? What What did you do in order to finance your company at, at the front end?
1: I got a small business loan. I did use credit card debt. I had just enough, you know, for a few months of operation to try and figure it out and get clients. And... Because I had been speaking, doing the other kind of training, I never called on any of those clients. I decided I would just focus on one audience, and I chose health care. I would just go into health care. And so on the way to finding clients, one of the things that I did do was I found every kind of healthcare care anything that was an association that had lunch meetings or had women, meetings, or, you know, groups that gathered, and they needed a speaker, and I spoke for free. I would go. I would not do a commercial. I would actually do content about how personal accountability is a really important key factor to people being successful and how it fits into what you're doing with quality and safety and tying it to what they're struggling with day-to-day, and I would just prepare a 30-minute or 40-minute whatever they gave me to speak, and then I'd call the program person for those associations, and I'd say, I do an, an incredibly useful presentation on personal accountability in the workplace, and... I'd love to come speak to your group, and then my assistant would start booking those little things, and then people would be interested, and do you train this, and do you have more information? So that's how I got it started.
0: What fascinates me is that with the first focus of your prior consulting practice, which was you know diversity training, there was a need that people had. I mean, they were getting mandated that they had to have this, so they had to come to you. How was accountability received because that doesn't sound so sexy and it wasn't mandated that they needed accountability training. So how were you, what were you delivering in your content that got people really interested and what were you finding that actually got them to take action on the information that you were telling them?
1: (laughs) It's actually pretty simple because we could do it right now. How many people listening to this conversation would benefit from the people in their lives being more personally accountable?
0: I think that we can all immediately have some examples of that, yes. (laughs) So if you think about it, if you say, gee, you
1: know, manager, gee, employee, you have a, a home life, you have your life at work. If the people around you were more personally accountable, if you could just envision that, you walk into your workplace and everybody is automatically more personally accountable, or your teenagers are more personally accountable, you know, the next day... Would you want that? I think every hand goes up, okay, so let's talk about that. What gets better so not only getting them in the the place where they can envision seeing more personal accountability around them, they also see the benefits of it. you know what what changes that you say you want people around you to more to be more personally accountable? Well, their whole life is filled with. Seeing the news, finger-pointing and blaming, things go wrong, no one is accountable. As a matter of fact, they even see people getting rewarded for not being accountable. And so so it's so piled on that when I say, well, here's something you might want more, which is people being more personally accountable, now I've got their interest.
0: And then now once you start seeing that outside of yourself, now you're available to be able to see that inside of yourself exactly. There's definitely been within the past 10 years, really this onslaught of consultants and coaches in the marketplace. Um, so much so that you really have to, the, the cream really rises to the top and the dead weight definitely falls to the bottom. So how did you in your early years really differentiate yourself from all the other business consultants in the market?
1: I decided not to take every client. So I really, really focused and I developed an assessment that told me whether to take the client or not. So I had some experience with assessment work and I had developed a pre-workshop questionnaire and that started to tell me if people were even ready for it. Then I got more sophisticated by using experts in psychometrics and saying, can I measure the level of responsibility and accountability in someone's mindset. Is that possible to do? Yes. Okay. So what does that need to look like? And so now today, fast forward, that assessment determines whether I'll take the client or not. So I've shifted from working with HR and training and organizational development to the client is the CEO. The CEO is not in the room. I'm not doing my work. So I spent years of in the trenches working with workforce doing training training trainers writing the material etc cetera, etc cetera. refining you know making making um great inroads with effectiveness with the material learning it and and understanding different audiences and then it came to the place where where this has to start is at the top of the organization so i differentiated myself to this day i still do it i don't take every client if it isn't If it isn't going to work, and the assessment helps me see that, by doing the assessment with the CEO and his or her direct reports, then I refer them elsewhere.
0: And that actually leads me right into my next question, which is, you spent a lot of years hustling it, I will say, on the the grounds. How did you land your first big client? My
1: first big client actually came from my first small client, or actually not my first one, but... Um, a small client. I asked for the business from that small client and then set a rate that took them back, you know, because up till then I was just doing little one offs and I could see a much bigger implementation. And so I sat down and asked for the business, was, you know, a company everybody would recognize. And I said, you know what, I could do this top to bottom and here's what it would take to do it. And my mentor said, set your rate to the point that they say no, and then you'll know what that threshold is. So, you know, I was shocked when I said, okay, I'm going to go from this much a day to this much a day, and it's going to take this many days, and asked for that amount, and they said yes, without mm-hmm. even blinking. So That's then great. when I called my mentor all excited, oh, wow, you know, this is huge. He said, you're not asking for enough. They didn't
0: <laughs> say no. <laughs> That's great. We, uh, I work with a strategist, and uh, his vantage point is, Uh, raise your price until 20% of your people say no.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it sounds a little bit odd and, you know, well, what am I worth? And you you do look at the market. I did. I looked across the the whole spectrum and you could do a price comparison, but I absolutely deliver results. And my mentor came from a client company who said, you're not charging enough. Your result compared to so many others we use is, leaps and bounds beyond what they're charging. And so you need to really think about raising your price.
0: Now, you mentioned a mentor. Can you talk a little bit about the role that your mentor plays in your life, how you found him or her, and how long you've been with them, and and why is that so important for you?
1: I have several, or I've had several. Sometimes I don't have one in my life at all because the problems change so, the first mentor I called was a woman who was the CEO of a healthcare plan she didn 't know me i 'd read about her in a magazine. she was a local. I introduced myself and said, "I need to understand healthcare I think that the material I use um, is really applicable i'm i'm very sure it helps with quality and cost effectiveness and can I meet with you and i 'm sure she was like staring at her phone going like "This never happens, even though i 'll call you out of the blue." But I, that's what I did. And that's what I tell people to do, to identify someone and call them and ask. And I, I structured it. I won't take up your time. She ended up hiring me for her company to come in and do the material. She got so interested in it. But it was mentoring. She knew stuff that I didn't know. I knew stuff that she didn't know. And so that's a mentor relationship to me. So then the problem started to change to where is the CEO's head? Where are they coming from? So then you know we we played out our mentor role and i moved on to someone else who he's a ceo he would i wanted him to react to my marketing material so he mentored me in how ceos think what they pay attention to and the current uh, mentor that i have now was all about how big did i want to get and why and some really great conversations about big doesn't necessarily mean success things like that
0: I find that very interesting because for a lot of the listeners out there and myself, it can be really, it, it, having a mentor is one of those things that you know that you should be doing, but it can be very intimidating to, oh my gosh, who am I to call this person up here? What advice would you give to business owners out there who know that they need a mentor and just haven't gotten one yet?
1: I'd say you know, this whole, who am I to call? I would say, get over it. I get those calls all the time, people asking me to, to mentor them and It really has to be a structured, accountable relationship, and oftentimes I'm not the right person. I can put them on to someone based on where they are, I may not be the right person because I don't know anything about the area they're in and I know I can't be helpful to them. Sometimes they call me under the guise of, I, you know, want you to know me and my business so that if you can refer me, that would be great. And that's pretty transparent, not a good idea. But I know people. Sometimes it's a time issue. I've got one child in college and another one that's a senior in high school. And the business can ramp up and be really busy, and it wouldn't be fair to say yes and then not provide the time. But once you decide, there's so much out there about a good mentor relationship. And then just put your your sights on a target and start calling. Now, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it.
0: Linda, if there's one thing I'm getting from this interview already, it's that you just go full out – with no excuses and just get done what you want to get done. I'm really, that's very, very clear.
1: <laughs> yeah. You gotta take risks. What can happen? You know, I, I have failed a million times. Everybody who's supposedly successful uh, or whatever you perceive to be successful will tell you the same thing. I mean, I have, I failed. I've been, get, got to you know, no, and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and I am now positive that accountability is a missing link in everything, and so i'm not i 'm not stopping i 'm not going to stop i I saw a really good interview with George Takai, who was the the character that played um he's on, Sulu star on star trek yeah, yeah. and and uh he 's seventy seven and he was being interviewed, and his partner was asked where does he get all his energy and his partner said it's not energy it's passion and when passion is fueling you there's no stopping you there's, there's there's nothing in your way if it's passion
0: linda what advice would you give to somebody out there who wants to start their consulting practice or their coaching practice and they're sort of in the those beginning phases of it
1: identify your ideal audience so see yourself in front of your ideal audience and do not waver from that so that if, if you you know appear to be something for everybody, you're just uh, the noise out there. So I want Linda, accountability, Galindo in front of people. When accountability is the issue, when accountability is what comes up in value systems and work cultures, the word accountability in a news story, I want them to think of me. So what do you want them to think of when they think of you? And who's the audience for that? And focus, because it's really tempting to just go for the, the month end and closing the deal so that you can eat. I understand that. But you if you waver from that, then you, you're, you're just the noise of, that everybody else is.
0: I want to get into your books So over the past 20 years, you've written three different books. You've written The 85% Solution, How Personal Accountability Guarantees Success, No Nonsenses, No Excuse. You've written Way to Grow, Cultivating the Weeds, Daisies, and Orchids in Your Organization. And uh, you also wrote Where Winners Live, Sell More, Earn More, Achieve More Through Personal Accountability. I want to talk to you about your experience writing books because there are a lot of folks out there, a lot of business owners who it's advantageous for them to actually write a book create really great content in book form. Can you talk about really from start to finish why you wanted to write the books and what your process was in actually doing that successfully?
1: Well, there's two approaches to the book part. The first is you want a book by Writing it yourself so that you create audience. And the other is you have audience, and now you give them the book so that they can refresh themselves and follow up, or, you know, some percentage of that will be new people who pick up your book and get interested in your topic. Uh, mine was the latter, which was I had audience and platform, and Way to Grow happened because I kept telling the story over and over again, and someone said, you should write that down. And so I authored three books. I didn't have time to sit down and write a book. I had the outline. I had the, you know, somebody who wanted to publish that idea, a smaller publishing firm, and so I had a writer. I'd spend hours on the phone talking, uh, making notes, sending notes, but I didn't write the book. I had a writer write the book. I authored those three books, and I found somebody who understood and had my voice, not their voice. So the publisher will pretty it up if you are the writer, or you can get a writer, a lot of people do, and have them put put it all together. As a matter of fact, the eighty five percent solution, I found this person perfect for it and we ended up throwing out the first version and starting all over again because she did not have my voice. She had done an article through an interview with me and I loved how it came out. It was one of the best ones I had ever had someone do where they actually captured what I had said and I called her and said, Would you be interested in writing and I would, you know, pay your rate, tell me what your rate is and then started saving up to have that happen some people think you know wow, you get a book and so you're set and it's not so the most important part of the book if you're thinking about a book and and getting a writer writing it yourself the most important thing is a book proposal so look up book proposal, and if you can meet all that's in that book proposal, an outline, a couple of chapters, who's your audience, all these questions they ask, you're just like, oh, my goodness. But it really helps you see if you're ready to sit down and, and get that process started.
0: Now, once you finish that process, you got the writer, the the book was written, and you already have this relationship with the small publisher. Now it went to market. How are you actually selling the book? Or... Was this book being utilized really as a marketing tool in your speaking engagements? How were you using the book and, and or how was it selling?
1: It's both. So the person that, the, the group that publishes it, the company that publishes it, they have a marketing campaign uh, set for you. But in today's world with eBooks and and how competitive publishing is and it's changing, it's, it's turned on its head, you have to have a platform. You have to say, here's who I bring to the party. Here's my platform, unless your idea is so one-of-a-kind and it's going to be a bestseller tomorrow. And frankly, a lot of people buy their way onto the bestseller list. There's actually a company that you you put in all the statistics and information you need and who the audience is, and then for a fee, they'll do the push for you. So marketing-wise, websites... I'm a speaker, did you want to buy books for the event, that kind of thing. So the first book was with one publisher, the second book was with a much bigger one, and with that book proposal comes the marketing plan and what they'll do and what you'll do so that you can say, just out of the shoot you're going to have sales. And then after that, you know, how do you put your book into the search engine so it's optimized when people are looking for that topic, and on and on. So... A lot of the heavy lifting is the author, and then second to that is the publisher.
0: What is the biggest mistake that you've made during your book Creation and Publishing Efforts?
1: I would say I didn't make any mistakes. I did it right, and uh, it's been you know successful. I think I've made big mistakes in my business. Well, i just as soon tell you those.
0: well let's talk let's talk about those. What are some of the what are some of the biggest <laughs> mistakes that you've made in your business? The biggest mistake in business
1: was partnering with someone. Uh, I'm a terrible partner, and so I. this is my third iteration of my company, and I'm just off of a couple of years back un, undoing a partnership. I, I'm not a good partner. I, I want uh, control of the decisions that are made, the direction we're taking, responding to market forces, moving fast. So I've sworn off ever having a partner in business. I'm not doing it anymore. And I learned, you know, I'm yeah, I have to pay my way out of partnership and so, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again. The first iteration was a lot of people ha- having staff and 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 trainers and uh sales and all that thing. So, you know, getting up there probably around 15 people and then okay, now we're an enterprise and I didn't like that as much as being, you know, me. And then I, that was the whole, well, what's enough? You know, what, what is it you're after here? And so then the partnership seemed that it would take it into the world, that I could scale it with a partnership and that didn't work. And so now I'm back to me and the, you know, support staff and, and I have people that, that I've trained and, and they're out there and I make sure to contact them regularly to see if, if, if there's work I can't do, they get it, et cetera. But I've just decided this is it. This is what I'm doing. It's me and support staff, and I'll keep writing books and articles, and, you know, enough is enough is what I've learned.
0: So now in this third iteration, what are the goals for Galindo Consulting?
1: To create not being needed as quickly as possible. So the fact that I'm needed to teach accountability is very worrisome. We've gotten to a place in society where not being accountable is getting rewarded more than being accountable. And so I have gotten my training published. I've gotten the American Management Association carrying it, and I have trainers that we train in organizations, and I say to them, this is so that I'm not needed doing this because people are not holding their underperformers accountable, and it's punishing the best performers. You could just see it playing out where, you know, you're the boss and you say to somebody, you're my go-to person. And so could you take this on? But that person's thinking, well, why don't you just tell George to do his job so that I don't have to keep doing his work? <laughs> so the best performers are getting punished and the underperformers are not being held accountable. So the biggest barrier to this getting into organizations top down is holding people accountable. And it sounds like this punitive, horrible thing. But what it's changing is I need people to, to look at the fact that to rescue, fix, and save, and rescue, fix, and save under performance and people that report to you is creating a group of people that can't do anything. And it's demeaning to treat people like they can't live up to what's expected of them and to to want to be liked more than be effective and sit down with someone and say, I let this happen. I need to stop. If you don't do your work at the level of quality you're capable of, it could mean you're not here anymore. And that's holding someone accountable. But there's a lot of people that want to be liked more than they want to be effective. Parents, for example. So it's an epidemic. It's It's gone nuts. It's run just all over the place. So I can see many, many other things I could be doing besides sitting with CEOs. So I see doing the same thing years from now, just at higher and higher levels, bigger, bigger companies. But this is what I love to do. It's effective. And so I don't feel a need to, you know, dominate the world as much as go where I'm invited. And I think when people get wind of accountability, is actually this fabulous, proactive, useful concept And the leader of the organization sees that to have that, it starts with them. The calls will continue to come in.
0: And how do you keep yourself accountable?
1: A calendar. (laughs) I don't have to-do lists. I don't believe I can make time. I can see I got 24 hours like everybody else, as is my staff. We don't do to-do lists. And so I build in, you know, the first thing that goes on my calendar at the beginning of the year is my vacation time. And that's what I require of my staff. I like that. Time off is golden and it rejuvenates you and makes you want to do what you're doing. So if you will be disciplined and focused when you need to be disciplined and focused, the reward is you have time to play.
0: What tools do you use in addition to your calendar, but what do you use to help you stay focused? So let's say that you have these eight things in your calendar that you need to finish for today, what do you use to make sure that you're actually getting those done? And what happens on days where you don't finish them all?
1: I pick up what I don't finish and move it, obviously. But you're talking about something really important. It's no different than a, a physical trainer. If you know you absolutely suck at getting up every day and walking on that treadmill, you need someone to hold you accountable, put them in place. Because there has to be a consequence for people who play hardball and say, oh, I'll get to it. And they just they just lack the personal discipline because especially for entrepreneurs, we love building. We don't like maintaining. So when the task is boring and you've got to focus on it, it's the budget, it's the report, it's the this, it's the that, it's just straight out discipline. There's no way around it and if you need someone in your life i have that person and i don't like her very much but she takes it that's our agreement <laughs> you know it's like did that did that get done and you know more and more and more i need that less and less and less because i see the magic of focus and how important it is that you be disciplined in that focus so there are days you're right i mean it's it, right for blogs blog post and I'm like I don't feel creative, I don't have a new idea in my head. I don't want to and it has to move off until the deadline is right there and there's going to be a consequence. Not very often and I don't make my lack of planning somebody else's emergency.
0: I love what you just said because you pretty much tilted the way that normal, I think, business owners actually work. So a normal business owner who's building their business generally hires an administrative assistant to take care of all the to-dos, right? Yeah. What you're talking about is actually having that person make sure that they're holding you accountable for the things that you've committed for that day.
1: And then a consequence. You know, it's it's no fun to be the one to say, if you don't get this done... You're just mad at me, and it's not fun. Well, then I have to pay you five hundred dollars or something that hurts, so that you really you you really are true to your word, and again, not making your lack of planning somebody else's emergency. Entrepreneurs are infamous for that with staff. I'm the boss. I made the promise. Now everybody, you know, and that's the other thing. I don't make a promise to a client without checking with the people that are going to actually be doing it, because. They're like, why just you say yes? We don't have the capacity for that. Well, you have to have the capacity. Just, Just make it happen. No, that's not how you keep workforce happy, committed, and with you. You say, here's what I'm going to take 10 extra minutes and call the client back. Here's what they want. Can we turn this around in time at a high level of quality, yes or no? And if no, we have to renegotiate the client. Well, we're just going to take our business somewhere else. okay. I have to be willing to say that because I know when we, you know, we're rushing, when it's it's a commitment I made for other people, there's no ownership of it, I'm going to have the same result anyway. The client's not going to be happy.
0: Well, that leads me to this question, which is, what kind of leader are you in your company? <laughs> I'm a total joy. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many Uh, different styles of leadership, and and, um, I've seen them all be very successful according to what works best for that particular, you know, leader or CEO of the company. So how does it look like in your company?
1: Clear agreement. Don't say yes and leave unclear. So I actually use the tool of clear agreement, and I actually use the tool of looking back. Instead of something went wrong, you're in trouble, well, let's stop and look back. So we start with an actual form called clear agreement. And we talk it through, and because I realize most of the time when I wasn't getting what I expected is because I wasn't being clear. And you do this for years, and you just think everybody can read your mind, and that's a big mistake. And so with my best performers, I, I use clear agreement, and we get clear. And I don't like detail. I just want to be able to say something and move on. But they need desperately for you to stop and look at them and and. I don't want them to – I travel, so when I leave, I don't want them to just try to figure it out. Let's get clear. Do you have any questions? And the clear agreement walks them through all that. And then if there's a problem while well, I'm gone and somebody needs to make a decision or, you know, I, the, the last one I remember was that the business development person failed to meet a deadline and we lost business. And she did a looking back on how that would never happen again. And that's a form. Instead of the story of what happened and excuses, it was, here's what I did. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'll do differently next time. Here's how I am accountable for that. So uh, my leadership is the material. I use everything that I teach leaders to do.
0: What were some of, the, of your lowest moments in business, and how did you get back up?
1: Lowest moments? Oh, you know, the, I don't have payroll. What am I going to do now? Not paying myself, selling something to, you know, get enough. I can distinctly remember the terror of, you know, the bank account not having enough money in it and just figuring it out. And and then I got a lot of my strength from the National Association of Women Business Owners where I was a chapter member. And what I realized was that all these women had gone through the same thing where we called it landing your plane on fumes. It's like, what, what's the matter? Well, you know, I'm coming up on payroll, I don't have it, and then the taxes are due, and that's a whole new thing. And, and they're like, yeah, I handled that a million times last year, and here's a way to look at it and get, stay out of that kind of problem. But, you know, some some kind of way each time, bubblegumming and scotch taping it together to keep it together so that you, you could, you know, get over the hurdle, which is what happened. But helping each other when you're you're just on fumes and is you're terrified. They're like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so, you know, let's talk about how to prevent it from happening again. So I actually don't know in some cases how I got out of it. I just knew I never wanted to go there again. But I have a lot of resources in colleagues now that if anything like that ever happened, I'd be there for them or they would be there for me.
0: How important are those relationships with your fellow business owners or fellow professionals who are, are doing their same thing and, and, you know, are able to be a peer to you? How important are, are those relationships?
1: Vital. And I only have maybe two or three in my circle at one time where, you know, they. I, I mean, I really get a lot from them intellectually, as well as the excitement of the challenges versus the fatigue of the challenges. And just being able to talk to them about what's ahead, what I see for myself, I find it extremely important because most of the time I'm working in my own world and forget there's other people out there. And every once in a while it's refreshing to surface and check in and see how everybody is. So I make that a, a deliberate practice for myself, make sure that happens.
0: Now, you mentioned that you have two kids. How have you managed all the different facets of your life, your home life, your work life, all of those sorts of things?
1: I have a professional definition of success. I have a personal definition of success. I have a community involvement definition of success. So definition of success for me, because in my assessment, I ask who is totally responsible for your success at work? I am totally responsible for my success at work, in my life, in my community. So, what does that mean, success? So, huge learning. I required of everybody I coach to have a definition of success because, like you, I think balance is a myth. It, it's not. Um, it's it, it's not something I ever started to try to get, especially as the two girls came along, because my daughters. Because. Um, before they were born, you know, get the business, go. And, you know, I was gone all the time. Now they're in my life, and I'm thinking, well, the more I'm gone, the less successful I feel. So what's my professional definition of success now? And it turned into only travel six nights a month. And every night that I was home, no technology, no TV for an hour, face-to-face with them, paying attention, being right there, and making sure that with my husband – when they were in their you know early teens and middle school that my husband and I go out without them twice a month so i had this very clear per- personal slash professional definition of success for myself but only traveling six times a month also said you're not going to make the same kind of money so let's recalibrate everything see that car that's the car for the re- you know the next 10 years We're not moving. We're not, you know, It's this is a lifestyle choice in order to feel successful as a mom, a wife. There was some definite give up. Now the second one will be off to college, and and I have plans. (laughs) My definition of success will shift again. It's very important to always be calibrating your definition of success, and mine's up on the board. I ask my employees what theirs is so I can support it because their success is my success. So defining success is, is key. It's not your goals. It's the quality of life you want that you consider successful.
0: Through these years of your consulting practice, what have been the books that have had the most profound effect on how you run your company?
1: The Power of Now at Tolle, and really remembering what's most important is what's happening right now. So the concept was profoundly impacting on me. I go to sleep at night because I'm in the moment. I'm not worried about this and that and the other thing. I'm very much present to what's going on. So the book Presence, which the author eludes me right now, but that was also uh, an affirmation about this elusive thing with all this technology and all these things that pull your attention, that you're going to distinguish yourself if you'll be very present to what's going on right in front of you, not anywhere else. You know, those people that look up when they're talking to you to see you walk in the room or they're they're playing on their device or you have a conference call and you know they're doing other things. The person that is absolutely distinguishing themselves or probably listening with velocity and taking it in are people who are very present to what's going on, and that's a discipline to teach yourself. And then the other book that had a, a big impact uh, was Deep Change. That c- Personal accountability for me was a deep change, and what i um, Getting back in touch with what you're really asking people to do, that it's not a training. It's a decision. After you educate people what personal accountability is, I'm not going to train you to be more personally accountable CEO. I'm going to tell you what it is in a way that lowers your stress, increases your productivity, and your job satisfaction. And once you know that, you have to make a decision. You've got to decide to talk to, not about people, to not be in meetings after the meeting where things start to get divisive, and you've got to tell your culture you don't do that, and you're not going to rescue, fix, and save your poor-performing VPs. You're going to hold them accountable. So there's this whole list of behaviors that come with the decision that accountability is really important. So those books just affirm me in staying the course I'm on.
0: I want to close this conversation asking you, what do you think are in the years ahead for you? I know your passion behind Galindo Consulting and, and being able to create a world where your consulting is not needed is really the passion of the company and comes through you. What is What, what are in the years ahead for you?
1: Enormous uh, creativity, and I will be nationally known. I'm working on a project right now that culminates back into my very first life, which was radio. Ironically, here we are in a radio interview. And creating that. So just as I said, you know, I picked somebody and called them and said, I want you to be my mentor. I picked the top of the production world in terms of putting a radio show together and said, I'm going to come talk to you. I have this great idea. It's very well developed. I'm not going to waste your time. And I've had that meeting. And so for me... This concept going worldwide and people not, you know, starting to see they have it in themselves to change their mind and do it. But I'll continue writing and I'll continue working with the top-tier individuals to help them see that this concept of personal empowerment and that it's in them, hiding in plain sight, and it affects everybody. And what I'm really thinking about is my girls getting into the workforce and what kind of place I want them to walk into whether it's starting their own business or being a part of something I think that we've got to, I've got to do some work on getting the ground ready for them to hit the ground running when they do what they want to be doing
0: Well Linda you truly are just an incredible business person who is very, very on fire about what you're doing. And I love the fact that you are 100% determined. Like if you get an idea, you know, it's a good one. You, you run a hundred miles an hour to make sure that it gets done and gets done well. So I thank you so much for sharing that passion with us today and sharing the wisdom of a lot of those tools that, that you use within your company. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your wisdom. We really, really appreciate it.
1: A complete honor to do so. Everyone who has a vision and skill and those things line up as they, you know, go for their passion. I wish you every minute of it, either down and the up. I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: It's no wonder why Linda has been so successful in all of her endeavors after all of these years. She is true passion come alive and lots of focus and just kept going after everything. I loved that. I really appreciate you being here and listening. Don't forget to go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and go find Business Women Rock. Give us a rating, leave a comment. It only helps this great information get in front of more and more people. So thank you very much. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the next episode and keep it rocking.